chapter 3, very familiar words. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He left his flock beyond the wilderness and came forth from the great mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. He looked at the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight to see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, Further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good land broadly, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Gentiles. I love the phrase, a land flowing with milk and honey. I like both of them very much. Thank you. And any time I get a hint of a land flowing with any kind of food, I want to go there. We live in a land of abundance. True or false? Did you have too much on the 4th of July? I did. We live in a land of abundance. A land flowing with milk and honey, if I can borrow a phrase. Back to Exodus chapter 3. For many reasons, after claiming the land of promise, the land of milk and honey, God's people lost their holy ground. The reasons, rebellion, apathy, idolatry, disobedience, you, you could make your list. If we used one word, we'd use the word sin. Do you see any parallels between the Old Testament story of God's people and the life we live in the country that we live today? Do you see any parallels at all? You probably do. We feel about this country that indeed it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Compared to most of this planet, we are living in a land of abundance. That's the good news. When I have told people, and for the past 15 years I was in Indiana, and when I have told people about this land of abundance, I tell them one story of one restaurant, and that restaurant is in the state of Georgia. I have painted such, I, I've never gotten commission from them, but I've painted such a picture of the restaurant that I've actually known people from Indiana to drive there because of abundance. You've got your favorite places. This was one of mine. It's the Dillard House. Have you been there? I'm ready to go after church. If anybody wants to go, I, I'm ready to go. It's been a long time since my upbringing and Jeannie and the kids and I went to the Dillard House. And that's when Tyler was a teenager. And Tyler's spiritual gift as a teenager was eating. And so we go to the Dillard's house. And you, you don't order. You sit and they start to bring it. And it's the greatest place to me in the world. One day when I die, I just put on my tombstone, love the Dillard house. That would be fine. <laughs> 
love the dillard hats. And out of those three or four meats and seven or eight vegetables and all sorts of things, and we haven't been there since we've lived in Georgia at this time, but we will. And you have your places too, don't you? Maybe it's your house. But the varsity. The varsity. I knew somebody would have to say that. We live in a land of abundance. But as you know, and as I know, all is not well. We have our problems and always have in this great land. And why? Maybe the same reason that Israel has such problems. Rebellion, apathy, idolatry, disobedience, sin. My prayer today is that we see the answer to our problems. The solution to our problems is not with Democrats. It's not with Republicans. It's not with independents. It's not with any individual. But as Bill reminded us, the solution to our broken world is God. And we need reminding of that. I read this quote recently. We don't need more Americans bowing down to the Democrat donkey or the Republican elephant. We need more Americans bowing down to the Lion of Judah. Today I want to remind you that your country needs you and what you can do. Let's pray together. Father, today through your word and hopefully through your spirit tugging at us, we'll be reminded of our duty, our duty of prayer. Not just those in this room, but every Christian across this great land and this great world. What a revival there would be if we would follow what you have laid out for us to do. But sometimes, well, we think of other things and get sidetracked. Don't do the things we ought. So God, help to light a fire in us. A fire for prayer and revival. Not only for this great land, but for our world. You can do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 is one of the saddest sections of Scripture to me, and you'll see why when we read the concluding verse, but we start at verse 54 of Matthew 13. Jesus came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue so that they were astounded said, where did this man get this wisdom and this deeds of power? Is this not a carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all the sisters with us? Where did this man get all of this? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their own country and in their own house. And this is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. He did not do many deeds of power because of their unbelief. With unbelief, we are doomed. And even as Christians, sometimes we will look at situations, whether it's in the family or whether it's in the 
work, or whether it's in our country, or whether it's globally, and we'll throw our hands up and say, you know, there's really nothing we can do about that. That's not true. That's not true at all. There's a great deal that we need to do. 2 Kings chapter 5 is one of my favorite Old Testament stories that I think has some great lessons for our country and us as individuals. The king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman. Naaman was the commander of his army. Because through him, through Naaman, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he also was a leper. That's an interesting combination there. They usually got pushed aside, but Naaman was so good at what he did, and with some type of leprosy, he was allowed to keep his position. He must have been really good. At this time, Aramean <coughs> raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captains was a young girl, some versions say a little maid. This is about as insignificant as you can get in that society. She was given to Naaman's wife, the maid, one day the girl said to her mistress, I, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. She wants Naaman to go see Elijah so he can get healed. That's all she says. Work that out. Verse 4, Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. There's a sermon right there. If you think you're insignificant, you can do anything. This this girl changed history, but not today. Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said, go visit the prophet. The king of Aaron told him, I'll send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gift, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman, I want you to heal him of leprosy. As you can imagine, it didn't go over so well. The king did not have the power of healing. And when the king of Israel read the letter, it says he tore his clothes and this man said, this man sends me a leper to heal. And my God, that I can give life and take it away. I can think he's just trying to pick a fight with me. We're in trouble this way, though. We're in trouble. You've had that thought about all sorts of but there is an answer, and it's fascinating always to see where the answer is. So, Elijah, verse 8, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, thought about all the trouble, and there's nothing we can do. And he sent his message to him. Why are you so upset? Send David to me, and he'll learn that there's a true prophet here in Israel. In a nutshell, don't forget about what God can do. If you forget anything else today, remember that. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, a motorcade, if you will, and waited at the door of Elijah's house. Can't you see them now? They're waiting for that prophet to come out. They're not going to the door. They're too important. We're used to being served, so you come out to us. Verse 10, Elijah sent a messenger out to Naaman with a message. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your lives. This man, Naaman, and his party are used to more than that. 
they're used to great receptions and meetings, and they wanted something different to happen. It didn't go over so well. Verse 11 says, Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to come and wave his hand over the left sea and call on the name of the Lord as God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, Nebana, and Tarfar better than the rivers of Israel? Why should I wash them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. He wasn't treated the way he wanted to be treated. But his officers tried to reason with him. They said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done that? So you should certainly obey him when he says, Simply go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. His skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. He was healed. I've always loved that story. And why did I use it on the 4th of July? Let me tell you a couple of things that, of thoughts here. Naaman's thinking is very common in realms of power and politics. It can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. We, as a Christian nation, I'm afraid still discount the power of God. We think it, it, it can't be that simple. To pray for our problems, will that really fix things? We've got to do more than that, we think. And I Let me ask you this. Every politician you can name in your lifetime, every one of them, would you rather them have a 40-day summit or would you rather have every Christian you've known in your lifetime have a 40-day fast to fix the problems of this land? Which one would you prefer? I know the answer. And I've known some great politicians personally. But Christians, there's a dimension there that if we're not careful, we'll forget. So pray. Another thought, Naaman's lack of faith to me was caused by pride. There's a pride in our country that can go along the lines. If you don't believe, if you're not on my side, everything you think is wrong. If you're not on my side, everything you think is wrong. And the answer is with God. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Naaman swallows pride and depended on God and did what he was told. That's what we're to do. We're to do what we are told. America has mountains to move. And the answer is with God. But we have to do our part. I think it was the 29th day of May I read the story from Austin, Texas. A great drought in Texas. And so the Hyde Park Baptist Church urged their members to pray and fast for one week in Austin, Texas, for the drought to stop and for rain to come. They put billboards all over the city and they began an internet campaign. 
telling people, come pray with us. This is what our church is doing. After that week of prayer, Lake Travis was up two and a half feet, and Lake Buchanan was up a foot and a half. Guess what? It rained. You've had things like that happen. When God does something just amazing. The United States of America is amazing. And what God has given us is absolutely bad. And we need to do our part in praying. Not complaining. Not talking bad about this one or that. But praying. You know this verse had to be used today about prayer in the country. Second Chronicles 7.14 A promise given to Israel years ago with the dedication of the Solomon's Temple. One of the pieces of advice given to them is something that we need to do today. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and restore their land. I believe with all my heart God answers prayer. I believe that God can repair and revive anything that he desires. And I believe that he can use you, no matter what your age or what your background, to do good for this country with your prayers. Before we leave today, we're going to have some nourishment for our journey. In this land of milk and honey, there's something even better. The communion of Christ that was given for us. That will pour fuel on your fire. That will give you sustenance to go on and do the things that you know you ought to do. Before we receive communion, let's pray.